Welcome everyone. I am so excited to be once again joining you at Data Nova. I'm Cindy Hausen, Chief Data Strategy Officer at ThoughtSpot and host of the Data Chief podcast. And I am thrilled to introduce you to two leaders from Bank of America who will be sharing their insights on how they collaborate to deliver great customer experiences while also protecting data. The time for data has never been more important. And yet we have challenges because we're creating more and more data in a digital world. Unlocking the value of that data for business performance is why we do this. So first, I'd like to introduce somebody from the business side of Bank of America, Amy Avery, Senior Vice President of Analytics and Research Insights. Amy, welcome. Hi, thanks, Cindy. Um, like you said, I lead our analytics modeling and insights team, and my role in the bank is really to figure out how do we use data to help our clients experience, right? How do we feed that to the front of the business? And at the end of the day, make better decisions and better experiences and help our clients in the moments that matter most. Which is so important, of course. And you can't do it without a partner here. And so next, I'd like to introduce Michelle Boston, Managing Director of Data Management Technology. Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm thrilled to be here in my role for global technology as the data management tech exec. I'm responsible for building data strategies for not only data management, for delivering data to our businesses and using it for strategies and operational purposes, but I uh, lead data privacy and data protection capabilities, as well as strategic planning for our analytics and data science environments. Thank you, Michelle. So that's a lot that both of you cover. And I work with many organizations where there is tension between the two sides of the house. And yet I would say that when we can get rather than an us versus them mentality, more we, it's usually an alignment to business value. This is the why. Sometimes we get so mired in the technology, we forget the why. So maybe Michelle, if you wanna describe a little bit um, about the why, why does this matter to Bank of America? Well, look, I think um, if you think of the scale and scope of Bank of America, right? We are in 35 countries. We're in one of every two households in the U.S. 67 million customers that we touch every day to deliver financial services. And so our business is technology and our business is data. And at the foundation of that delivery of great customer service to all of our customers and clients is first the data management component that we ensure our data is accurate and complete and timely from the moment that data is created in our systems, whether it's opening a credit card or a mortgage or placing a trade, and then moving that data with integrity through all of our systems, ultimately to the point at where a business uses it to make decisions 
or where we use it to comply with laws, rules, and regs and deliver reporting or understand our business. So at the heart of that is data management. And then the second side is really analytics. Then how do we use that to understand strategies and to create personalized and world-class experiences for our customers and clients? Thanks, Michelle. So that that's a lot of customers. And we often think about how financial services is so key to creating an equitable world. And as you describe the different touch points, I think about pre-digital, where this would be a person walking into a branch, perhaps. And now with digital, it is more data. We talk about how the digital economy is the economy. So Amy, as, as we take uh, the customer perspective, how do you take that shift from when it was all analog in-person interactions to now so much more data that Michelle's teams are processing um, for you to leverage? It's, I'm glad you asked because it's, it's funny. I can't imagine there being animosity between a, a partner like Michelle. I mean, I am so dependent on the work her team does to do mine well, it, particularly given the amount of data that we have to work with, right? Like you said, the old day, someone would walk in, I would recognize them because I saw them the day before or the month before, and I would know everything about them. I would know their kids. I would know their dog. I would know everything. And now I don't know that, right? I, I don't have people memorizing that the way they used to. And, and the financial center is now also the website. It's the app. It is advisors, bankers, it's relationship managers, call centers. There's a million different ways you can be interacting. And I still have to know that, right? I still don't have the luxury of being like, oh, I don't know who you are, Cindy. That's, that's, that's surprising. I've never seen you here before. And so that, that data being not only accurate right, and, and, and absolutely correctly telling me who you are, but also being connected so that if your last experience was in a different channel than the one I'm in now, I don't have the luxury of pretending I don't know that. Um, and, and my partnership with Michelle's team, make sure that happens. It's right. I, I want that data safe and I want it accessible and I want it right. You use the word animosity. And I think about some other organizations I work with, there is animosity. I do think the best organizations, there's not, there's collaboration. But I wonder if some of this comes back to the fear that the first priority has to be to protect the data. Um, and, and so people think, oh, no, we want to lock it down. We want to safeguard it. And maybe that also gets back to the first generation of chief data officers. That was their primary objective. They were not thinking about the shift to value. Um, and I, and there's new research from Tom Davenport that says that, uh, now only 41% of CDOs are measured on value. And I think is that good news, is that bad news because it's progress, but it still shows, I think it should be a hundred percent. So I think of it as two sides of the same coin, protecting, provisioning, enabling, processing, but then using it to leverage these um, insights. So you really know the customers. So do you two feel like we're making progress or is it um, unique to Bank of America that you're, you have this tight collaboration and it is a focus on value? I'll start. I mean, I think, look, I, we have a certain culture at the bank, right? And that bank starts with 
delivering great experiences for our customers and clients so that we can help them seamlessly deliver whatever whatever they want to do in their in their home whether it's a mortgage or a car or saving for retirement provide the connections and the great experiences and the world class services to deliver that technology is an enabler to that yeah so we always start um, in the technology space with a business partner telling us what our customers and clients need of us and then how does technology enable the business to deliver those experiences that's why Amy kind of said it's foreign to us to think about that animosity because our technology budget is really centrally driven off how our customers need to interact with us and what our businesses are telling us to deliver. In the case of data, there is this tension, right? There's this tension between the desire to use it to create those great experiences or to create those business insights and also to protect it, right? Customers place their trust in us for the most sensitive data they have, their financials, their social security numbers, all of those um, confidential information, and we have a mandate to protect it and to build strategies and deliver capabilities that not only protect it anywhere it exists in our space, but to ensure that the businesses are only using it for permissible purposes. And that's really a combination of Amy's organization and governance and oversight of requests for using that data and and our technology that pairs with it that only gives access to those with a need to know. Yeah, thank you. And and so Amy, you mentioned some of these digital touch points and how they changed and maybe if you can take a situation or bring a story to life of how the data lets you know the customer. And maybe I'll just add something. I'm going to go back in time when my daughter first opened her own um, Bank of America checking account as she was a freshman in college. So how do you see that data to um, better service the customers? How has this changed in a digital world? I think it starts really with, with your original question you were just asking, which is, Privacy can't be separate from that, right? It is critical. It, it is the, the foundation of trust that we're building with our clients in which they feel comfortable sharing information with us to better serve them, right? I could, in your example, I can best help your daughter if she trusts me. And if, and if, if based on that trust, she'll actually give me more information about her, right? We give our clients tools where they, they can identify what their life priorities are. What are the moments that they're going through? What are the moments they have coming up? And they can map out their financial life plan. And, and they only do that if they trust that I can keep that information safe. And so when I start with that and the client's willing to share that with me, think how much more helpful I can be. Because then I can say to you, right, and to your daughter, well, you're probably going to need loans for college. You're going to need a car, potentially. You're going to need a second account. You might want to start your retirement planning a little bit later. So how are you going to shift your money around? And I can only do that if you're willing to share the information. And if I have that trust that I'm going to handle that well, um, but it, it gives me the ability to not only give you the right products, obviously, but to give you the advice, right? And we have so much content to help people navigate those decisions, right? <laughs> if you think of the scope of, right, one out of every two households, the, the scope of people that we're helping 
we have the experience and the content to say, you should maybe be thinking about this today, um, right? I know you're planning on sending your daughter off to college, but here's a few other things that you probably didn't know you had to think about. And, and so we can build content to help people guide them that isn't just you know the products we want them to have, but information we want them to have once we build that trust. Yeah, so yeah, the car, we definitely didn't think about or <laughs> the price of books. <laughs> the price of books has <laughs> de definitely <Yeah>. changed. <laughs> Who would plan that far ahead? So um, it does, I, I think about the way data and analytics has evolved. Um, many of you have been in the space for a number of years. I'm now approaching 30. And I think about the volumes of data and what we can do now. Some of the analytics at that very granular level, that personalization, um, the visibility just wasn't even possible before. We couldn't store that much. We couldn't get to that fine grain detail. So as you think about how you keep up with um, both the technology modernization and the way we interact with customers, Michelle, can you talk about how your team and your overall data strategy has evolved with this, with the increased requirements? Look, I think we're always we're always looking for new technologies to help our businesses because many of the customers in my space are actually the businesses like Amy's, right? To help our businesses and then to help our businesses help our customers. So I think I think key to success is continuous learning and to constantly pull the landscape for new products or new capabilities which may help our business deliver data faster, remove friction to access data, help us move from predictive analytics or to discovery analytics, you know, the rise of machine learning, the rise of AI. We are looking at all those things, but we're looking at them in the context of responsible use of those technologies. And for a bank, you know, I think the bar is very high, right? Um, we care about how we use them, ethical use. We want to enable, we want to automate. Um, but we always look at those decisions with the customer in mind. Um, and so it's bringing those strategies. And I think the, the connection here is it, I, it's not only technology that looks at those spaces. I look at the landscape and the environment. Amy looks at the landscape for new capabilities. So she brings some things to us. We do proof of concepts. We figure out what works and what works and what's compliant with our stringent requirements ends up making it into the bank um, as something we enable not only Amy's line of business, but I'll bring it to all lines of businesses if it's a good product. And so it's that continuous loop of innovating, implementing with rigor, and then coming back around and then expanding the use of those technologies when, they, when they're really uh, valuable to our businesses. Yeah, thank you. And there is so much innovation. Um, I, in a way, I'm glad I'm not an industry analyst anymore because I felt like I couldn't keep up four <laughs> years ago. And now it's just that rate of creative destruction, as Clayton Christensen would call it, has only accelerated. So it's a lot of opportunity, but how do you actually prioritize which innovations you go after? I think, I think it's a couple, a couple things. things. 
Oh, go ahead. <laughs> That's funny. We would start the same way. Um, I, it's funny because I was literally going to say we have to start it together. <laughs> so we did a really nice example of starting it together. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, we can't think of those things separately, right? Michelle's roadmap and my roadmap, they're intertwined. Uh, and if we don't start at the beginning and say, what is the end state we want for our customers and for our business? we're going to be broken from the beginning. And so that early conversation of how do we get to one roadmap, right? How do we get the thing that will create the best experience that, that will keep our, our customers supported in those moments that matter, that will protect the bank in the way we need to be protected. We have to think of all of that up front and then prioritize, right? There's a lot of things, a lot of different directions we're pulled in, um, but we have to approach those together and then say, okay, in those constraints and meeting all those requirements, how do we build a map? How do we prioritize? And it becomes really easy if you start, I think, literally from our words, <laughs> if you start <laughs> at the beginning together. That's right. I, I love that. And, and look, I think the other piece to that is continuous improvement. We, we are a culture continuous improvement. I need to deeply understand my business's opportunities to simplify, to transform, to change the customer experience. And then we look even farther ahead and say, how can we do those things, but do even more three to five years out? So it's a combination of immediate need with strategic planning for future um, capabilities driven by business demand. Yeah. So what takes the ability to be fluid in there as well, right? You you can't in an ever changing world we can't lock down. Our roadmap has to be a changing evolution. It can't just be this initial thing that we said. Well, five years ago we said we were going here because by the way, five years ago we are not where we thought we would be. Right? Everything keeps changing. Our framework might be the same, but we've got to be open to shifting as the world shifts around us and and being able to monitor and see those shifts before they come so that we have a plan for them. Yeah. So there's a couple things there that you both um, hinted at. So one, as I'm listening to you both talk and I think about how Michelle, you do not resent Amy bringing you ideas or requirements. Some organizations would call Amy's group shadow IT if they started bringing in things. So I think this again gets back to the collaboration. And then the other thing is, Amy, when you said the five-year roadmap, I feel like that's too far out now. There can be ideas five years out, um, but again, the innovations um, are changing so quickly. So what was this partnership or the lack of shadow IT? Is, is that something that has always been part of your collaboration model? We'll get back to that. Or is it something that had to evolve maybe in, in the bank or in your careers really? I mean, for me, um, there's no such thing as shadow IT at the bank, right? I, I also think technology has changed, right? We are able to put in the hands of our business capabilities that are far more technical than, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and look, every organization, every good business has data scientists or data and analytics teams who deeply understand their business and deliver operational insights and strategic value day in and day out. So I think, I think technology has evolved past the point where you can say, 
only technical people do technology work and business people do business work because data science is so intrinsically technical and data analytics are so intrinsically technical now. Um, so what I think, I think in that, my job is to enable Amy and her team in a way that lets them unleash the value of that data, but to do it in a way that is rigorous and controlled and in line with, you know, the standard change management practices and really just good sound um, practices. They're consuming that data and delivering it. And we create capabilities to support doing that safely and with data protection and with data privacy and with all of the key controls in mind. Yeah. So Amy, then, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say though, but if you can also, so great. Everyone's now thinking we want to go work in that culture because (laughs) there is no shadow IT. There is no us versus them. You've gotten to the we, but maybe give some specific advice to the data leaders listening. How do you make that happen? Like, is it you have how periodic a check-in do you have? Is it clarifying the roles and responsibilities? Um, What are some techniques that you would say organizations that do have more friction should be applying? It's a great question. You know, when I think, it's funny, at the beginning, I've been doing this 25 years, and at the beginning, you do. You do it all yourself because there wasn't the technology and data wasn't really a practice in most places. And you had to do it. You had to push every button, as I like to say. And as, as that's evolved and more things have become possible, right, you can't push every button. And so you have to accept partners. And I think part of that is, to your point, it's roles and responsibilities. How do we upfront say, what are we each going to actually contribute into this end goal? And how do we how do we decide that together? Because there's enough work. <laughs> there's no shortage of things to do. So how do we actually allocate that out so that we're all doing the highest, best use of our own skills? So I think there's upfront, right? What are the roles and responsibilities of step one? You have to have that mapped out. I think two, regular connection. I mean, we have a regular connection on a, a formal one on a weekly basis, but I would say there's not a day, sometimes not even an hour where I don't talk to someone in the data management team, right? That has to be an ongoing relationship. And every time I'm having a, I think I want to solve it this way, I have a partner that can be able to answer those questions for me. And I think being open to that, and and part of that is, right, how do you use technologies that enable that back and forth, right? That very dispersed workforce and we're we're spread out, but we can make sure that we can still connect in an instant. So while I'm brainstorming, there's someone that can hop in and answer a question for me. And I think building the kind of culture where it's okay to not own every single answer, but to bring in the people that are the experts, I think is really critical in that partnership. Michelle, I don't know if you'd add to that, but I I mean, look, I think think it's that. Two things, and I'll just highlight that Amy talked about. Strong business data ownership. So Amy's organization has leaders who own every type of data that the retail preferred and small business team manages. That strong business data ownership enables Amy to plan and strategize for her organization. And right there, she has a CIO partner and a CIO who's doing that enabling with her. And I provide a data management oversight to make sure we get it right. I think think it's all of those things working together, right? Um, and, And it's ownership from the business, it's ownership from the CIO organization delivering technology, and then creating a horizontal of really strong, mature data management practice, 
data privacy practice, data protection practice, um, and those things, and data architecture practice, right? Those things enable us to get it right. Yeah. So if I think about this, um, it's it's some of the consistent touch points, clear roles and responsibilities. If we go back to my question at the beginning, how much do you think it also, the collaboration is enabled because you are both focused on the why of that customer experience, whereas maybe some teams, they get too mired in the how and this is my turf, and it's about the technology. How much do you think that has played a role in tightening uh, this partnership between your two teams? I think it's an incredible part of the culture at Bank of America. It's, it's that feeling that you're rowing in the same direction. I, I think any employee you talk to feels that. It's one of the things that makes it a great place to work, and I think makes a lot of our work possible, is that that constant step forward with that end vision of, we are here right, to help make financial life better. And we're all rowing towards that thing. And I think that common goal makes it really easy to collaborate because we don't want different things. We're not measured differently. We're all measured on that. So it makes it very easy to succeed together. Yeah. yeah and look, when, just as an example, if we, go, if we go to an innovation event, right, it's not just tech going to see the cool tech stuff. It's our, our business comes right there, sits in the room, asks the questions of the technology, because if it doesn't end in a business outcome, then it's probably not something we're interested in. So I, that's what I love. And, and when we deliver technology and we celebrate those successes, we celebrate what we delivered for the customer, not we delivered a cool tech thing. The tech, the tech piece is important and the team who built it is important but we recognize in our culture what we're ultimately delivering for our customers and businesses. And I think that just changes the narrative and the dynamic in everything you do. It becomes part of the DNA of how you deliver great tech. Um, and I think, you know, I've been in orgs where I see in, in the past in other companies where I've seen that friction um, and it really slows down innovation and, and it increases costs. So it's not good for anyone. I think there's also just democratizing all that knowledge too, right? I think when you try to hold all of that knowledge in the corner, whether that's the tech or, or the data, right? It's hard for people to buy in and feel attached to it. But when people can see the power that it helps with their decisions, ultimately everyone feels very invested in the thing that we're doing. So I think that piece helps as well. It's interesting to me that you both talked about culture and the type of workplace you're building at Bank of America. And I would be remiss if I didn't comment on um, two things. One, it's unusual for me to be moderating a panel with two very senior leaders, both women. And also I got a chance to catch a glimpse of this at your recent data science and analytics day, where I saw a lot more diversity than I normally do. So what's your secret there? How have you made that happen? And what can others learn from that? Who would like to start? I'll jump right in. <laughs> Were we going to do it again? I wasn't sure. Um, you know, I, I think it all comes back to that culture we talked about. We very much are focused on a diverse workplace in every way that you can be a diverse workplace. I think diversity of background, diversity of point of view, diversity of experience, and that's a major focus for the bank because it makes our work better. 
And so I think there's that, but I also think there's these, like the conference that you got to join, there's these ongoing efforts to make sure that people are exposed to new things and can learn new things. And right, that the data science and AI conference is incredible because it brought together thousands of employees across the bank who work either in that space or adjacent to that space. And it keeps people talking and maybe discovering what their next career is going to be in the bank, right? Um, so it becomes not only a place to learn and share work, but it becomes a place to recruit new talent. And I, I think it's incredible. I mean, our, our odds are, it's more than I've ever seen anywhere. And it's, you know, come from a different background than here. And it's incredible the amount of diversity in the team and the number of women in particular in the team is unlike anything I've seen. Um, but it's, it's an ongoing focus and an effort and building an inclusive environment where people can grow and learn. Yeah, and I just add, you know, look, that commitment starts from the top and it takes years and years and years to take hold. And I think um, what you see at Bank of America is the realization of that intention. Uh, if you think of technology, technology has not typically been a field where women have parity. Um, we are well above the industry benchmarks in women in technology. But we do that through really intentional programs all the way at grade school. Um, for example, in global tech, um, I'm the executive sponsor for Girls Who Code, uh, which teaches young girls kind of to look at a career in technology, career consider a career in technology. We hold summer immersion programs at most of our major sites every summer. Hundreds of girls go through that and get inspired, you know, to consider a career in technology. We help at the college level with things like rewriting the code. Um, at Grace Hopper is another huge event for us that we are a, a sponsor and thrilled to be part of. And so it's really taking that pipeline from school to college to the workforce and then through support uh, networks like Women in Technology and Operations, where our women are really supported, we develop, we mentor, and we pull through female talent and diverse talent. Um, but it has to be an intentional activity. We're very committed to it. And I'm really proud to be the executive sponsor. I know Amy sponsors um, things in her business as well to really drive that diversity and sustain it. Yeah, so those are some great organizations that you mentioned. I also think another thing that I've seen you do is to measure that so that the team measured how many speakers they had the first uh, data science and analytics day several years ago who had different types of diversity. So not just gender diversity versus where you are today. And it was profound progress then versus this most recent one. Are you allowed to share how much that's improved or is that confidential? I would I would just say I think that across every dimension we are green on our scorecard. It's it's been an unbelievable success in our efforts to to broaden how we think and, and bring in that diverse point of view. Um and and you know, Cindy, I know you've got to see it firsthand. I think, you know, between that, women in data science, girls who code, there there are all of these places where we're bringing in um new new and different talent. And it's I think are really exciting to see the results of it when we show up to a day like that. Yeah. And at all levels of the organization too, right? I think that's important. Women have to see women in those senior roles to, to even think that they can be those, you know, aspire to be those and to get the help and the sponsorship they need to grow their careers. Uh, I know Amy and 
Amy and I have probably benefited from men who advocated for us and women who advocated for us. And we need to pay that forward. Yeah, absolutely. We need those male allies. And I do think it is that making sure there are role models so that we do improve diversity at all levels, not just at the individual contributor level. Well, you've given people some great advice, some practical tips, so much inspiration, but maybe if you each want to end with one word of advice as you look forward, what would you advise them as they also try to modernize, but to serve in pursuit of serving their customers. Michelle, do you wanna take that first? Look, I think key to it is continuous learning. And I read constantly. I read uh, science, technology journals, um, everything I can get um, my hands on because I have to be ahead of my customers and my business's expectations. And I think often, you know, being a technologist is a little bit like being a physician, right? Physicians take coursework every single year to stay up with their craft. We have to do the same. And then we have to bring those innovative technologies and ideas to bear with our business to figure out which ones of those will really transform our organization. So that's probably my biggest piece of advice. Thank you. Amy? I would I definitely agree with that. And I would add, think like your end user. It becomes very easy if I think of myself as a customer, which I am, to think about what would I want shared? What would I be worried about being protected? What would be helpful for me to receive personalized information on? And I think that makes for a very easy roadmap when you pair that with this constant learning and, and this kind of trueness to what you want the experience to be. The rest kind of falls in place. I like that empathy of the end user. And if I can end with one more bit of advice, I like this point, um, Michelle, that you said earlier, when you go to tech conferences, it's not just the tech team, it's also the business team. So as you maybe at, at home or in your offices, as you're watching Data Nova live, Think about maybe on demand, partner up, partner up. Uh, if you're in the business, bring your tech counterpart. If you're in tech, bring your business counterpart. So on behalf of everyone, thank you, Michelle and Amy, for spending time with us. And I wish everyone at Data Nova a great conference and a great day. 